Just how do you raise money for a business? What's that structure look like? And exactly how do kickers work? So those two are gonna get lumped together in this video that's actually a blast from the past. So this video was recorded about two years ago. It is a video that goes through those topics, but it looks at them for my uh, elite mastermind that I ran, that I used to run. I used to coach very, very high level people from the top of their profession in uh, primarily in real estate, but also in other industries as well. So let's say there is a, a building. Uh, that you want to buy. And actually, I'm going to talk about this in the exact context that I did this in. So I'm going to tell you uh what that was and um so well, one of the projects i was working on and i still think is an incredibly great business uh tool this product project actually never got started but we got everything formed we got we had investors who were interested and were coming in um and fortunately it didn't happen and you'll find out why in a minute so you've identified a property Um, so you find a, a, a good property, but you also, the purpose for, for occupying that property is a business entity. And I don't know how to draw a business. Uh, I, I'm going to draw, I'm, I'm going to draw money. All right. So this is the business. So in my case, uh, Anya and I were working on a project, which is still a tremendous idea. It was to do a, uh, not a cloud kitchen, but to do uh, basically executive suites for kitchen space. So take an existing um, warehouse, something like that, convert it into commercial kitchens, and then rent those spaces out on a month-to-month -month or a year lease. Uh, basically turn it into an executive suites for kitchens. Now, the advantage of doing that um, is all of your co-packers also use this same model. So people who sell to grocery stores, people who sell uh, in places like that cannot operate and you cannot sell food, at least in California and probably throughout the country. You cannot sell food to, uh, to a grocery store and you cannot sell food to a... Um, to even a restaurant, unless it's the cooking itself takes place inside of a commercial kitchen, excuse me, a commercial kitchen. So, uh, whereas a cloud kitchen technically can, so it's, it's really becomes a point on, is there a interface between the, uh, the, the cook and the public? If there is someone in between, there needs to be a commercial kitchen. So you can do this where you can sell at the farmer's market. Uh, there are allowed, that is allowed in California, but you cannot sell to grocery stores or to, um, to restaurants. 
So the people who pl- occupy these things are bakers who bake uh, fresh baked goods and then sell those to restaurants who then use it as part of their service, or they sell it to coffee shops with a nice pastry. Uh, you have school lunch programs occupying these th- these places, or caterers off- occupy these places. Because to be do catering, you really shouldn't be doing that in your kitchen either. That should be taking place in a commercial kitchen. So, um, so our idea was that executive suites for there. So as part of that deal, we needed some number of dollars, and I forgot what it was. Um, and so we would buy a property and we would form the business. Now, the business, um, in our case, didn't need any capital from the business in order to get started. We didn't need to put in any money of the business, but the structure is still the same. So we did need money for the property. So we were in escrow to buy, uh, how much was it? I don't know. It was maybe a, let's say it was a $3 million building. I don't remember. It was in Van Nuys. It was a very cool building. Um, so we needed $3 million and then we, I mean, total. So the building may have been 2 million. I should write it that way. All right. 2 million for the, for the building itself, plus 1 million to build out the space and to kind of finish the business. Um, so we needed to raise this $3 million. So how do we do that in terms of uh, in terms of investors, because Anya and I wanted to own this business forever, right? So um, we wanted to own the business forever. The property, however, uh, wasn't the play here for us. It was it was a good property, and it would be significantly higher value because it had all this new kitchen um, standards in it. But it wasn't it wasn't like that's where we were going to make the money. The profit on the business itself was huge. So uh, our our estimates were it was not going to be a problem in order to pay like 30% returns to, uh, to our investors back. Uh, not a problem by any means. So how were we going to run that? So we would basic, we went to the investors and we told them, look, Here's the way that this business is going to operate. We're putting together an LLC. That owns the property. Right. That owns the property. It's going to do all of this work ahead of time in order to build out the kitchen space. And in exchange for that, uh, the business was going to have a lease with the property. Now it wasn't gonna just have any lease, it was going to have a percentage rent lease. So a percentage rent lease says that the rent amount wasn't going to be fixed. The rent amount was going to be based on the income of the uh, of the tenant. 
And in that way, as the business took off, they uh, the number the rent that was getting paid for the building was going to go up and up and up. And that's how we were able to do 30%. So rather than um, uh, rather than having it be something like the uh, build be, uh, you know, that rent itself was going to be 10% of our income, or actually it was 10% of sales. We said, no, it's going to be and I'm, I don't remember what the exact numbers is. It's going to be 40% of net. And here's how we define and how we're going to monitor the nets. And so ultimately, that's how the investor gets the money. Now, you can absolutely do this model too. And I know that some of you are looking at the same model where you've got a business that you want to buy and it will occupy a property but just how do you get the uh, how do you get how can you buy the business with investor money, but not give them any profit for it? And so this is the mechanism to do that. What we also did is say, okay, and in year seven, we now have a buyout clause, just like we talked about Grant Cardone's buyout clause. We have a buyout clause for us in year seven. At this way, we calculate it based on um, percentage over the um, uh, of what sales is. So that way, we had a, a built-in mechanism in order to value the property and the, the dollar amount. So it was all spelled out in the PPM. It was all spelled out in the uh, in the operating agreement. Uh, it was very clear how that was all going to work in our business plan. Um, so it was uh, that is the structure that you do it. Uh, I will backtrack just slightly to say the reason that it was a good thing that it didn't uh, that this particular business didn't happen was because our date of estimating on when this would start looking for tenants was March fifteen. 2021. I'm sorry, 2020. I hear I had this great lead up and then I go and ruin it with the year. Uh, March 15, 2020 was the day that tenants were supposed to start coming in. Oh my God, that would have been a disaster of epic proportions. That was a good example of God or the universe stepping in and saving our bacon. So, didn't work. Um, it was a really great idea. The, the really, the problem started coming in as we got closer towards getting, removing contingencies is the, our estimated cost was going up and up and up. And the city of LA was also being really inflexible when it came to parking and the more they were strict about parking the needs for the parking in this area was um it was above what was there so it was currently had it was under parked for a for the industrial building that it was and then suddenly we wanted to put in all of these kitchens there uh the city uh, hated that idea so they were getting very mean they were saying well you know you need to find a lot more parking and um we also don't think that you've done the that the uh, 
handicap parking is is really accessible either. So that's why the deal fell apart. So fortunately, deal fell apart because oh my god, what a disaster that would have been. So all right, let's talk about kickers. So uh, anybody wants more detail on that, just ask me too, because I, you know, that deal was, uh, I worked really, really hard on that deal and uh, it was going to be amazing. Um, and it's really not very, it's very similar to what uh, business a lot of you are, that some of you I know are working on right now. Um, it's just in a different kind of industry, but it is the, it's the same business model. So. Think about it and, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to me and we can collaborate on on your business plan and make sure that it's as awesome as uh, as this business plan was going to be. So let's talk about kickers. There are a few different times when you need to start thinking about kickers. Uh, so kickers are my word for incentives or bonuses. They're, they're things that you give certain investors in order to, um, uh, in order to come in um, to do certain things. So when do you need kickers? So certainly you need kickers when it comes time uh, to make your, your, your deposit. cash for deposit. Another time you may need kickers is you need um, cash for due diligence. I never remember if due diligence is one L or two. So I think it's two L, so we'll put in two. If I'm wrong, sorry. Uh, a, a, a third time that you need kickers for is signing on the loan. So if for whatever reason you don't want to be a signer on the loan, um, you may need to offer incentives in order to get people to get somebody to sign on the loan for you. So what is these, how do these typically work? Well, there's two different ways to structure it. And it comes down to are they going to do it as an investor or as part of your team, right? Those are the two choices. Now, if it's gonna be part of your team, it's actually a little bit simpler in some respects because this all takes place internally. It does, so this is your investment. This problem here, where they're here, doesn't have any visibility to the outside world. You are not under an obligation to say to your investors who all the people on your team are as part of your uh, PPM. Uh, you can keep it quiet or you can keep make it public. It's up to you. Uh, likewise, the deal that you get isn't subject to or that you give isn't subject to anybody seeing it and knowing what it is through the PPM. 
you do want to make disclosures for any money that's being paid to you, but this money being paid out uh, to uh, to this to the uh, your kicker is totally irrelevant to them. They need to know how much money they're getting. They don't need to know how much money uh, each person on your team is getting. So this generally takes place just through the operating agreement. Agree. To your, uh, to your company. Or it takes place into just a side agreement. between you, your company, and the, uh, and the person giving you the kicker. Now, when it comes to the investor side, now we need to start looking at it from, okay, now it does need to be disclosed and when it needs to be set up in a specific way. Because as a matter of the investment, they are getting a certain extra piece out of that uh, that dollar amount, right? So that could, uh, so here's how, how it is oftentimes structured. A good example of somebody who did this uh, that we talked about uh, was again, uh, Grant Cardone's syndication. In his syndication, remember, he had two classes of shares. He was calling them shares. They're actually membership units, but they're, they're membership units. Two classes of membership units. And what it said was that, well, if you come in under this time period, because he wanted to close, um, uh, and yeah, that's a third idea, is uh, cash for closing. And this means like if you're short any money, um, you know, where that money is going to come from. So some, someone who can take out the rest of the shares. So, um, and can just basically guarantee that they'll take out the rest of the the, uh, the money for you. So we have two classes of investors in his case, and this is off the top of my head, so I have to remember, it was something like, okay, if you come in here, you are going to get, it's going to be a straight 80-20 split of um of cash flows right that was that was the his class a1 shares if it's after that uh, so if you come in later your split is going to be 65 35 um split of cash flows And then after this, what they did was they said, okay, if you're on the sale of the property, uh, first, everybody gets their money back um, or when they buy it from you, um, because I think that's ultimately what their play is. Um, when they buy it from you, uh, then they will get, uh, they get, everybody gets their money back. And then out of the, any pro proceeds, um, that money is divided pro rata between the two pools, right? So pool one, let's say pool one represented 70% uh, 
and then 30% was uh was the A2 shares. So 70% of the profit goes here, right? And then then 30% of the profit goes here. And then out of this 70%, out of this pool of money, it is then split 80-20. And then out of this pool here, it split 65-35. So that's how they did the kicker uh, through the investment. Now, the easiest way to do it is through the team. But it also can be a nice way to uh, kind of incent people to invest now, invest now, give us your money now, because you're going to lock this in. You can say very clearly, look, we only have a certain dollar amount until we close our cash our A1 shares. So you can buy in, obviously, at the A2 shares at any time. They, of course, would take that. Why wouldn't they? But to, we're only going to be taking money in our A1 shares, um, you know, either until we close the whole deal or until we um, until we decide, you know, which will be on September 15th or whatever you're going to choose. There we go. Um, so that is the way that kickers work. If you're looking for to raise money for your business or you need to talk about kickers or really anything as it relates to raising money under Regulation D so that you can be successful with your offering, whether it's putting the legal docs together, which of course we do, or you just need the additional help of also somebody who's been there before, who's been in your shoes, who's raised money, somebody who does uh, his own deals still, that's me. So my name is Tilda Muschietti. I am a syndication attorney with the Muschietti Syndication Law Group. Love to talk with you and help you be successful with your Regulation D, Rule 506B or 506C offering.